Think back for a moment. Your first day on the floor as a new nurse. You have this degree and certification. In fact, some of you may have been hired before passing your NCLEX. No pressure there. Either way, you show up that morning, you have your pens and a highlighter, a litman around your neck, maybe a notepad. Your preceptor welcomes you, you're introduced to a few new colleagues, and when it's time, you get report. At some point on orientation, maybe not your first day or your first week, but at some point you ask yourself, what exactly did I learn in school? Unless you were lucky, the highlight of your clinical experience may have been giving an IM injection or witnessing a birth. Sadly, no one gets high fives for that outside of nursing school. In fact, you very quickly come to realize you know nothing. At least that's how you feel, until you don't. But even then, you still know nothing. But you don't know that yet. My origin story begins on a heavy medical floor. We had our skates on from 7 to 7. No breaks, learned on the fly. Many nights we had one or two, sometimes no PCTs for a 27 to 28 bed unit. And I'm neither complaining or looking for an applause. It was typical med surge life at that time, and it may still be that way. However... I was really taken aback by the idleness of the more experienced staff. On day shift, we could each have up to six patients, eight on nights. And when I did the calculation, and I did it over and over, there wasn't much that equated legitimately to sitting down, much less leaving the unit to grab a bite. Still, somehow a few managed to map out time for snack runs outside the building. Now, I wouldn't say I was jealous. Hungry? <laughs> yes. But I understood I was new, and it's a process. However, given the system, our ratio, and the culture of the unit, it was hard for me, as a rookie, to see what I didn't know. But I didn't know that yet. Let's revisit nursing school when they told you to think like a nurse although they themselves could never clearly define what it meant. They weren't only referring to how you assess and foreshadow, but how you deliver care. Perhaps, and it's debatable, the art of clustered care is the unicorn of floor workflow. Loosely mentioned by educators and your fellow worker, it isn't given the attention it deserves. I'm guilty. It's the practice or, for some, a system of choosing a particular time point to complete multiple tasks that fall within a respective time frame. Notice I called it an art. This was intentional because we all do it to some degree but often fail at seeing our steps before they're taken. So, you forget to pick up that med from the pharmacy or the finger stick machine and you find yourself circling. Your care is no longer clustered it's cluttered. So, how do you assess your patients? Put out a fire. Give your 10 o'clocks. Put out a fire. Get an admission while putting out a fire? By taking a moment, a few seconds, a minute or two, to see your steps before they're taken. You can write it down if you choose. So it's as much a cluster of thoughts as it is a cluster of care. 
and something drawn from cumulative experience you have to have done to know what to do. Now, clustering can't prevent fires. They happen often, but it may have an effect on the lasting burn. Let's shake things up. This leads to the workaround, an approach both snubbed and secretly loved by management. Considered a break from best practice, when executed, it's a degree of clustered care at its best. For instance, you have six patients in meds scheduled for 10 p.m. and 12 midnight, a two-hour gap. Would you circle back and wake up that 80-year-old at midnight? I hope not. What you do is reschedule that midnight med for 11 and give it with the 10s. And while you're at it, grab his or her midnight finger stick. In this circumstance, there's no reason to wait for the PCT. And yes, you could finagle and cluster everything for 11, but most 80-year-olds aren't up at 11. Let's be considerate. Furthermore, the times are truly arbitrary. He or she would likely adjust times when discharged. This is just one example of how workarounds, not all, sprout from workflow constraints and a sense of empathy through personalization. Systems and work cultures that fail at customization, which is the future of medicine and healthcare as a whole, will always be worked around. And for those who can't see the forest for the trees, indeed, there are medications that are more time sensitive than others. Avoid messing with those. There you go. And this is the perfect segue to that dark cloud above workarounds. Much of it concerning context, and context matters a lot. Let's discuss two concepts surrounding the context of a workaround. The first relates to motives, a term we hear used in criminal law to explain why a person acted. However, when looking at it from the perspective of a nursing workaround, it lends the question of who the action favored. So, did it benefit you or the patient? Both you and the patient, or was it done out of pressure from, say, a superior? It's those not-so-obvious or sometimes hidden reasons that muddy the water. The second concept relates to an individual's starting point or level of experience in a specific area. And experience matters a lot. However, it fails to tell the whole story. The more experienced hack isn't necessarily smarter or more crafty. Some are. <laughs> Instead, they're simply seeing crucial steps the inexperienced may be blind to. Again, you have to have done to know what to do. Furthermore, they've likely made similar missteps in the past, so they may be involving you. Maybe. As a final point, many nurses, experienced ones included, are especially good at covering mistakes. So keep in mind, you only know what you know. What you don't know is an entirely different story. Some of you listening may feel a little uncomfortable at this point. I appear to be promoting workarounds and hacks and giving a thumbs up to shortcuts. But again, context matters a lot. The reality is administrators know, and I agree, people employ workarounds because people employ workarounds. But that's exactly my point. 
It's in our nature. At the same pace workarounds are being blocked, workarounds are being created. Senior staff are pounding out old tried-and-true workarounds, perhaps dated, and the novice are creatively creating, not always safely. But here's what's interesting, a concept I heard from business author Josh Kaufman. Screwing up more, taking sensible risk, and in this case, experimenting with workarounds, is one of the best ways to increase your rate of learning while compounding your knowledge in a specific area. Put differently, more experiments equate to more mistakes, which equate to personal growth. It's the difference between literature on how to ride a bike and actually riding a bike. He believes that the fine ability to do experimentations in the moment Learning the variations and exceptions is what separates the good from the great. Nonetheless, I know, for many, acknowledging workarounds as a learning tool is unconventional, yet it tells the other side of the story. You have to be willing to listen. For instance, imagine we collected data on workarounds. This would allow us to flag and reframe ineffective and iffy practices. Perhaps, bringing to the forefront workarounds nurses are secretly doing anyway. I think reckless workarounds are dangerous. At the same time, well-thought-out ones can be superior to existing practices. Truth be told, I'm more nervous about those who don't sidestep a little. A sense of agency matters. And those senior nurses that were making Dunkin' Donut runs when I first started... They were just working around, but I didn't know that yet. Let's continue to shake things up.